0: All right. All right, if I can have everybody to their seats. It seemed like when the music cut off, everybody sat down. It was, they have to work for me. So, with children in the room, there are times where their attention spans will run into some difficulties. And when that happens, typically, I've been a parent. I've had small children. It can be embarrassing for the parent. They can feel like, oh, my gosh, everyone's looking at me. It's a safe space. Mm -hmm. If your kids yell and scream, we will quietly judge you. (laughs) So don't worry. We will be self-righteous in our hearts towards you. We will say things like, get that baby out of here to ourselves for the glory of God. No, listen, if your kids scream, they scream. Hopefully they're filled with the Spirit, and that might be a good thing. What I typically try to do is preach louder. So if that happens, don't think I'm offended. Oftentimes I'm trying to serve those parents and to not be distracted. So if that does happen, if I hear your baby's trying to compete, we're going to have a little contest what happens. I'm at home. I'm in my church. You ain't yelling over me in here. (laughs) If you ask anyone in this room, most people have some sort of debt. There's either school loans, house, you own a home, credit card, all of it, right? Debt is a major reality for most of us, if not all of us, unless you're kids. And then in that case, sometimes parents will put debt in their kid's name, depending on what neighborhood you're from. Got a phone bill in your name, and you five. Only some of y'all don't know about that. Some of y'all do. Sometimes some jokes don't hit everybody. And that's not even a joke. That's just true. But that is a major reality. And most people who understand that, there are people in this room who are very good with finances, and they would try to tell you as best as possible to not have debt. If you can pay in all cash or something for your house, then you've robbed a bank, because most of us are not paying in all cash (laughs) for no house. So you've probably done something illegal, which is a different problem and a different sermon. But ultimately, the goal is to not have debt. You try to pay off your credit cards. I know people who delay major decisions, like having a child or even getting married. Major decisions because the goal is to get rid of debt. And that's a good thing. As best as possible, even scripture says, owe no one anything except love. Right? But the reality is, is that debt is almost inevitable for most of us. For most of us. Unless you were born where your family's rich and you don't have to deal with debt and if that's true, if you're a member here, I need to talk to you afterwards. <laughs> if my birthday's next month, I need to see you. But that's a reality. But most people know debt can be a bad thing even though it's necessary. Well, biblically speaking, there is debt that God wants us to have. There is at least one kind of debt that is actually biblical, that God not only desires for us, but commands for us. There is a debt that God says all Christians should have. And this morning's passage will reveal what that debt is. So in Romans 12, as we conclude this chapter, beginning in verse 17, here's what God says. And I quote, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. There is a debt that God says that we shouldn't pay. We take the debt of people sinning against us, and we do not pay that debt back. God makes it clear that to not repay anyone, evil for evil it is a biblical debt it is a debt that God commands all believers to incur we, we take that debt as difficult as it is just like financial debt can be difficult for us to manage this biblical debt is also challenging to manage this passage assumes two things of everyone that hears it This passage assumes two things of everyone. The first is that we really trust the Lord. (laughs) This passage assumes that we really trust the Lord. Because it is almost impossible for us to have evil done to us and not in some way, shape, or form repay it back. It's almost impossible. It is almost antithetical to being a human being, to have someone, especially intentionally, cause you harm and for you to let it go. This passage assumes we really trust the Lord because to do this, Because of the Lord, for many of us, is probably the only way that this can happen. This is not, when God gives commands, he gives commands not based on our natural abilities, but on our supernatural disposition. He assumes that we have genuine faith. He assumes that his spirit is in us, that we believe that the spirit is active. And that we're responding to what God says, both by spiritual promptings and what says in the word. This passage assumes we really trust the Lord because it is very difficult to not repay evil for evil. Then it's very difficult to actually bless the people who are evil towards you. If your enemy is hungry, feed them. If, you're, if he's thirsty, your enemy, give him something to drink. This passage assumes that we really trust the Lord, and this passage assumes that we believe that God knows all things and that he keeps his word. It assumes that. It assumes that we believe that God knows the evil that someone is doing to me, that he sees it, and that he's going to keep his word. You see, whether you, whatever political side you lean on, all people are made in the image of God, not just Christians, all people. And all people have within us a sense of right and wrong, a sense of justice, a sense of vindication, a sense of even as a kid, your child at one of the first... You do something that's not fair, and they're like, that's not fair. <laughs> Why would they say that? Well, they haven't sat down and taken a course on ethics. They're two years old. And sometimes it's not fair that you won't give them something that they're asking for. Intrinsic within humanity is to be made in the image of God. And so we have what theologians call communicable attributes ways that we are like God in the ways that we carry ourselves. He created us that way. So a sense of fairness, a sense of right and wrong is not just what Christians have. All people have this. This is why societies, even that don't believe in Christ, some have never heard the gospel, have some measure of morality, some sense of right and wrong. It's inherent within people because we're made in God's image. So when someone does evil to us, There's a sense of justice. So we see someone do something to someone else that's wrong. There's a certain indignation. Sometimes it's sinful. Sometimes it's righteous. We understand that. So to believe that and to do this, we must believe that God knows all things and that he keeps his word. Because if we're not allowed to do something about this, then we have to believe that he is. Often when we read these types of passages, we think these are said in light of Jesus. And on one level, that's true. But on one level, it's not. Jesus did not come to usher in a bunch of new commands. I was talking to people who were in the membership class yesterday, and I believe this to be true. I said, I I think there's only one command that Jesus said was new. Everything else was a reinterpretation of what the law of Moses said. Jesus would often say things like this. You have heard it was said. Not to commit murder, but I tell you, if you're angry in your heart towards your brother, you've already committed murder. The only time he said a new command I give to you is in John 13 when he said, love one another as I have loved you. This passage is not set in light of just Jesus. It's set in light of what God has expected for his people from all time. Case in point, listen to the language of this proverb that's similar to our passage in Romans 12. Proverbs 20, 22 says this. Don't say, I will avenge this evil. Wait on the Lord and he will rescue you. Proverbs 24, 29 says this. Don't say, I'll do what he did to me. I'll repay him. I'll repay the man for what he has done. As you can see, these aren't, truths in light of Jesus, these are truths in light of God, who is also Jesus. These verses and others like them are showing a continuity in the expectations that God has for his people. Now, last week, we talked about the, the passage was, was talking to believers, but it also implicated how we relate to everyone. Well, this passage Includes believers, but it's really talking about how it relates to everyone that is not a believer. Of course, it includes believers. It assumes believers. But it's talking about how do believers act towards the evil actions of unbelievers towards us? How do believers act towards the evil action of unbelievers towards us? This is God's concern for us. And so he says this in verse 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. This verse, do not repay anyone evil for evil, is the foundation for all Christian character. This is the foundation for all Christian character. And it is the way that we are the most like God. When I first became a believer, it's like 1999, I was uh, in a family of churches. And a lot of there was for some reason when when 2000 hit, I don't know if it was because of Y2K. People thought the rapture was coming or something. If you believe in the rapture. But there was, this, there was always these questions like, like assurance, like people wanted assurance of salvation. Like, how do I know I'm really a Christian? I remember being in circles like this. like, why is everybody worried about this? She should believe in Jesus. There's always this assurance. And, and people would go to immediately, like, your quiet times. I remember when I was in this discipleship group by a pastor who's now one of my close friends, we'd be in this big discipleship group. And he would ask us. We'd all have to report in two weeks. He'd ask this question. How many, how long? How many times have you read the Bible in the last two weeks and how long have you read? And if it was like, man, I read like six times for like 20 minutes, it was be like, man, you got to be kidding me. There was this sense that maturity is how much you read your Bible. How much are you having a quiet time? But the problem is many people read their Bibles at eight and forget what they read by 11. I've done that, right? We've all done that. You ever pray like, man, you feel like the Lord really met you, you, you really going to go after this, and as soon as something happens at work, you right back to what you didn't pray about? <laughs> I know it can't just be beat. You right back the way it started as if you didn't pray at all. <laughs> Reading the Bible is not the most mature. And then you had this, this rush of what we call sound doctrine. Oh, the theology. We're mature because of our theology. We believe this. We believe God is sovereign. We believe in election. We believe this and we believe that. And then you have the charismatics and think, oh, maturity is in, we speak in tongues. And we, we're, we're filled with the spirit and all those things are mature. And no one that I remember ever said maturity is measured by your love for other people. And that's biblical because God said in 1 John four twenty, if you don't love your brother whom you have seen, then you do not love God whom you haven't seen. And in all my studies, I never heard anyone say a genuine fruit of conversion is that you love other people. No, what what a lot of people thought was genuine fruit of of maturity is that you love theology. (laughs) I've read a lot of theology books. But those books don't make me change. Not repaying anyone evil for evil is more like God, more like Jesus than you having a quiet time for two hours every day. Because you can read and not apply. But when you're not repaying someone evil for evil, you're imitating God himself. It is the foundation of all Christian maturity. All Christian character is built on this truth. In fact, not repaying anyone evil for evil is probably the most mature thing any Christian can do. Let me prove the point. Pay some point. Some of y'all think I'm lying. Let me prove this. (laughs) 1 Peter 2. Love this passage. 1 Peter 2, 21 through 23. Here's what Peter says. He says, for you were called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps, right? So here's the example. He did not commit sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth, okay? So stop sinning, cut it out, quit it. I'm joking, sort of. Then he says in verse 23, when he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. So here's what Peter said. One of the three disciples who was close to Jesus, here's what he said. Here's the example that when he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. This is the most mature and the most like Jesus many of us will do. is to not repay evil, anyone for evil man that's hard because there are some people sometimes even in our own families that enjoy antagonizing us being evil towards us and the Bible says God says Jesus demonstrated don't pay them back don't pay them back take the debt Take the debt. I will credit it to you as righteousness. Don't pay them back. And that is hard. This assumes we trust the Lord. And this assumes that we believe he is sovereign. He sees all things and he keeps his word. Because if we're honest, we want to love people and we want people to experience salvation. Salvation. But there are some people that, if we're honest, we want them to experience judgment. We want you to pay for what you've done. And that's part of what it means to be a human. Part of what it means to be created in God's image. And then as a Christian, of course we want to see justice done. We want God glorified. Many of us think when we're in heaven and when we see people that we knew and loved on earth, They may not make it. Many of us think that we're going to be broken up about it. But when we're with God and with Jesus, we're only going to want what he wants. We're going to want his his name glorified. We're going to want him vindicated. We're going to agree with everything he says. We'll be shocked. There may be some sadness because he said in Revelation 21, 7, I will wipe every tear from their eye. But it won't be sadness throughout eternity because we're going to accept the sovereignty of God. And the scripture says when we see him, we'll be like him. We're going to want his justice done to people who rejected them, This is the reality. Let me tell you why, because we know in Revelation 6, when the sixth seal was opened, there were all these martyrs, all these martyrs, and they were crying out to the Lord, saying, when are you going to avenge us? And he said, All the martyrs haven't been complete yet. So he dressed them in white robes and told them to wait. So even in heaven, people want justice. They want the vengeance. They want the evil repaid. And even in heaven, God said, not yet. Wait, I got you. Not yet. So if in heaven God is telling people who have been martyred, whose lives were taken, whose families were destroyed because they believed in Jesus, then how much more so if in heaven he's saying, wait, must you and I, hands off. Now, I'm not saying this is easy. Don't think my passion means that this is easy. My passion is because of who I am. The ease of this does not exist. But the command to obey it most certainly does. When it talks about evil, the evil here covers both actual and perceptual evil. All right, so actual evil is real evil. It would be evil to God, and it covers that. Perceptual evil is just things that we think are evil. So actual evil is evil to God. Perceptual evil is evil to us. It covers all of it. This is an important distinction because not everything that we think is evil is evil. It's evil to us. I, per- this is just me, and I know there's many others who who feel the same. But I personally think mayonnaise is evil. <laughs> if it is on my sandwich, a slither. If I taste what it even sounds like, it better be so covered, <laughs> and it better be. I better be lied to, like oh, spicy dressing. It better be mixed with if I taste mayonnaise, I am like James and John and Luke 9, wanting to call down fire from heaven (laughs) on whomever made that. The only time I can eat mayonnaise is my mother's egg salad. You can't touch that. You don't want that smoke. I think mayonnaise is evil. Now, I'm joking, but I've been offended at people (laughs) For after ordering a sandwich and saying, no mayo, no tomato. And then I get my sandwich, and I look at it, because I don't trust anyone anymore. <laughs> I, am, I, am, I, am, I, am, I am food suspicious. I'm a food <coughs> investigator. I will get my sandwich and open it up and make sure, and if I see mayonnaise and tomato on it, I do two, two, one of two things. I, If I really want this sandwich, I take it off, grab a napkin, Wipe it all off as best as I can. Then I taste it and see if I can't taste it, and I'll eat the sandwich. Or I open it, I slam it down, <laughs> and then I ask God for forgiveness for my anger because it doesn't. But that's not evil to God, right? Things that are evil to you aren't evil to God but this verse covers all of it. Whatever is evil to God, don't repay. Whatever is evil to you, don't repay. It's not optional. What I love about passages like this, I love and hate these passages. What I love is that this obedience here is not it's about intentionality, not personality. This is about intentionality. Because a lot of us shockingly we obey out of our personalities. There are, we have different dispositions, right? We always joke around right? Even last week we talk about introverts, extroverts. You know, you know, extroverts seem proud, introverts seem humble, but the reality is we can obey God just based on our, our, our personalities. It might not be your natural disposition to get offended and raise your voice. You would never slam down your sandwich. Maybe that's not you. But obedience is not about the temperament that God gave you. You know, if you're an introverted, you might not repay someone evil just because you're afraid to do so. You're afraid of the person. So fear of man is preventing you from repaying evil for evil, not faithfulness. So you are fighting sin sinfully. <laughs> you can believe that. I'm fighting sin with another sin. Because I'm afraid to actually say something. So I won't. So I'm not going to repay you for evil. I'm not going to even bring it up. And that's just fear of man. You see, our personalities, and just because you aren't afraid of people, you can challenge people like me doesn't mean you do it in a way that glorifies the Lord. Just because you're not afraid to challenge someone if they do something. If you see something, doesn't mean you do it. You don't do it self-righteously. Or you're not angry when you do it. See, obedience to God is about the fruits of the Spirit, and the fruits of the Spirit are not about personality. They're about intentionality. There's no believers that don't have the fruits of the Spirit in them because you have the Spirit within you. Now, there may be levels of maturity where some of us have practiced and sown two things that make it easier to respond, but all believers, genuine believers, have within them the spirit of God, and can obey whatever God commands. You have the desire and the ability to obey God. Maturity is not based on your personality. Maturity is a decision to act, not a personality to attain. So when it says be gentle, if that's not who you typically are, it doesn't mean, well, other people are just they're gentle because that's just who they are. That's not what God's talking about. He's not saying, I made some people that can do this and some people can. not He's saying all believers must obey all commands. But some believers, based on the way I made them, will find it easier to do this than others. Mm-hmm. Maturity is rooted in the fear of the Lord, not the fear of man. You obey because God said, your spirit, my spirit's in you. And this is what you do. Put this on, put this off. Obedience is not about our personalities. It's about our intentionality. It's not. Not repaying evil for evil is basically saying, I'm not going to treat someone as their sins deserve. And that has nothing to do with your personality or you're afraid to. It has to do with, I'm doing this because I want to honor the Lord. There are times I say to myself, James 1.20, one of my favorite verses. The anger of, the, of God, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that you require, Lord. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness that you require, Lord. I will say that to myself sometimes when I'm tempted to be angry. Take a deep breath and put on gentleness. And when I fail, I ask for forgiveness. But I go to a place, I don't assume because I'm a, my personality, my background, I'm more aggressive, I'm an extrovert, I'm a challenger, I'm gonna say something. There are times I will not challenge and not say something because I don't think I can do it in a way that honors the Lord. Mm-hmm. I'm just too offended. Mm-hmm. So I'm just not going to say nothing. There was a guy that we had an exchange in, in social media. And I said some things on my podcast. And so he asked me to come on this podcast and let's talk through it. But he wasn't asking, like, let's reason together. It was like, let's argue together. And I was like, I'm with all the smoke. I'm for that. Because I felt like this guy says a little too much, and I'm just not afraid of him. So we were micing up the day of. We were micing up. And I could tell by the look on his face, he was like, man, I don't really want to do this. And it just hit me. I had a bunch of examples for this dude. A bunch. The only examples he could have on me was what I said on my podcast, and it was like three or four statements. Because as aggressive as I am, I'm not out there, and people misunderstand things I tweet, but I'm not out there trying to fight with you. I'm like, man, listen, bro, that's not what I mean. It's text, everyone's easily offended. You tweet something people don't like, they want to tell you about it. And then they get mad when you just don't care if they tell you about it. (laughs) Like, I didn't tweet this to offend you, so I'm not angry that you're offended. I don't care that you're offended because I didn't tweet this to offend you. It's Twitter. It's Facebook. I'm not responsible for you being offended. When we were micing up, I saw this. And I just said to myself, you know what? I need to ask him for forgiveness for the things I said on the show before I say anything else. And so we went live. We went live. He has thousands of people on YouTube. A lot of people are watching this. And so as he set, this, set it up, I just said, bro, I just want to ask you for forgiveness first. I was specific about what I was asking for forgiveness for. I wanted to be clear because there were things that he said I was wrong and that I wasn't wrong in, And I said, I'm not asking you for forgiveness for this. Because I think this is true and we can have that discussion, but here are the things I said I was wrong. And that changed everything. Hundreds of people got to us like, wow, that was incredible. Sometimes your ability to confront doesn't mean you do it in a way that honors the Lord. It's not about your personality. It's about the intentionality. I want to do things because it honors the Lord. And if I'm wrong, I want to be wrong. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Easier said than done. God explains specifically how he wants us to do it. Look at verse 17 again. Here's how he explains how we do this. He says this, second half of 17. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. So don't repay anyone evil for evil. Okay, Lord, how do we do that? Give careful thought How to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. Give careful thought. This is an important phrase in the Bible. It is a phrase that I didn't realize until studying this how important this phrase is throughout the scriptures, particularly in the New Testament. Now, to give careful thought, it's pretty, pretty understandable. You take it into consideration. You have regard for or you think about ahead of time with the implication to respond appropriately. So you want to give attention to beforehand, like foresight to do what is right. You give careful thought. And I actually forgot to say one thing about that story. What actually made me say, I'm going to ask this guy for forgiveness, was I listened to a video he made about me, about the podcast I made. And when I saw how offended he was, it was then that I decided. It was on a Friday. We did our, pod, we did our live stream on Sunday. And when I saw him, I was reminded, oh, yeah, I need to do was really hurt offended it's giving careful thought these this idea of giving careful thought is an important phrase in the New Testament let's give you a couple examples 2nd Corinthians 821 here's Paul same author of Romans this is what he says to the church in Corinth he says this 2nd Corinthians 821 indeed we are giving careful thought to do what is right, not only before the Lord, but also before people. So you see, when he says that careful thought, almost is always connected to doing what is right for other people. So it's not just your personality. You just no. it's you actually think about, consider, okay, how do I I honor the Lord and, and honor these people? And remember, this is towards people who have done evil to you. You give careful thought. Ephesians 5.15 says this. It says, pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise. This is very tough in a social media age. very tough it was tough for me I post stuff all the time one of the things I try to do is if I post something that I think someone said that's crazy I won't say who posted it I'll post the idea the other day someone said something that I thought is crazy this is a person with a lot of influence as a Christian leader and I posted it and said I'm praying for this dude it was insane I was like this is crazy what are you talking about bro You'll post all these negative things and say, man, I'm impressed by the Lord. How? how? We can't tell. Pay careful attention in how you walk. Titus 3.8 says this. This is a this is this saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed God, those who have believed God might be careful to devote themselves to good works. These are good and profitable for everyone. Giving careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. Giving careful thought, thinking about it, thinking beforehand. How am I going to respond in this situation? It might be an event at work, and you know that you're just struggling with certain people that are going to be there. It may be a family event. How do I give careful thought? How do I do what's honorable in people's eyes? So maybe it's in a situation where, you know, a lot of people know what this person did. You're the one showing them grace. You're the one talking to the coworker or the family member who everyone did not want to show up. Give careful thought is how we not repay people evil for evil. It cannot be instinctive. Because if it's instinctive, oftentimes our instinct will be the opposite will be cognizant and trusting our personalities. Just because you didn't say anything publicly doesn't mean you're not saying something in your heart. So God isn't telling us to rely on your personalities or rely on instinct but to give careful thought. This is a command that is peppered throughout the New Testament. I only gave three examples. The believer must live a careful life. means a thoughtful life. Not instinctive, not just reactional, but careful. There are plenty of times I'm like, you know what? I'm going to erase it. I need sending this tweet out. I'm not going to say this to this person. I'm not even bringing this up. You know what? Whatever. I've sinned against people way more than. We give careful thought. Now, this phrase honorable, give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes can be somewhat of a challenging phrase (laughs) because it sounds like, well, I got to please everybody. That's not exactly what it means. God isn't saying give careful thought to serve what everyone else would consider as honorable. That's not what he means. I'm going to read you a, a, a quote from Leon Morris in his commentary on Romans, and here's what he says about this verse. I thought this was outstanding. He says this, about this being honorable, giving careful thought to do what is right. He says this, he is not appealing to his readers to fall in with generally accepted moral maxims. Says, people's minds are darkened and they will not always approve what is right in the sight of God. He is calling on them to live out the implications of the gospel. Their lives are to be lived on such a high plane that even the heathen will recognize the fact. They will always be living in the sight of non-Christians. And the way they should live should be such as to commend the essential Christian message. So God isn't saying do what's honorable in front of people because people are sinful. And most of us are surrounded. We're outnumbered. Christians are outnumbered in the world, in our countries, in your jobs. The only time you're not outnumbered is right here. We are the majority in this room, believers. Apart from this, we are outnumbered, unless you work for some Christian organization. When he says do what's honorable, it's do what's honorable to God in everyone's eyes. And if you're trying to figure well, what does that look like, always start with what are the fruits of the spirit? Start with 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Okay, what does love look like? What's the action that love is required? Okay, love is patient. Love is kind. It is, it is not rude. It does not insist on its own way. All right, let me make sure I'm not insisting on my own way. You go to your job and you have an idea and you offer an idea and someone else offers another idea and you're offended because you want it to be your idea and you think your idea is better and it may be better, but God may be doing it to show you to be humble. And so you say, okay, we can go with that. There are times people will come up to me and give me interpretations of things that I'm like, okay, cool.
1: <laughs>
0: I didn't just preach a message on it. Didn't just to study it for hmm, the last 20 years, but hey, cool. There are times you say, ah, ah. It's like, all right, cool, we can run with that. Let's do it. Let's try it. do you think what's honorable, think what's honorable to God. And then we get to my, one of my top five favorite verses in the Bible. Verse 18, God says this, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So don't repay everyone evil for evil. Do what's honorable. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. We give you three reasons why this is one of my top five favorite verses in the Bible. This might be top two. The first reason is this, because God understands the difficulty of interpersonal relationships. God is communicating. He understands the difficulty of interpersonal relationships. He understands it is challenging. Sometimes it's others. Sometimes we're the ones that are challenging. But he understands the difficulty of having to relate to people, having to live at peace. This is why he says, if possible, right, those two words or God communicating to us that if possible, is God saying two other words, I know. (laughs) Right? If possible, is God saying, I know. Three words, I know, fam. (laughs) He knows it's difficult to relate to people and to get people and to, to love you, to try to live at peace. I love that God says this, if possible. Because there will be some situations, it's not possible. All of us may have someone already, it's just not possible. There's nothing you can say or do except agree with everything they say for you to live at peace with them. It's just not possible. And God understands that. He understands the difficulty in interpersonal relationships, if possible. Second reason why it's one of my top five favorite verses. Is because he says in this verse, Christianity is not about making people like you. (laughs) Being a Christian is not about making people like you. This is why he says, look, live as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. He doesn't say as far as it depends on you, make them live at peace with you. He says as far as it depends on you, you live at peace with them if possible. Christianity is not about making the world like us. This is a big deal because a lot of the challenge with Christianity in America even is we're caving on things that the Bible has said for 2000 years so that we can be more loving in the culture. Because we think if people are offended, then we are offensive. And the Bible is clear that everyone who's offended at you is not because you were offensive to them. Some people will not live at peace with your biblical conviction. And if you think that you're supposed to make people live at peace with you, then you will change your biblical conviction for their benefit. But not for yours. I've said this before in the church and I stand by this statement. I will never let a non-Christian, a person who doesn't know Jesus, tell me how I'm supposed to be more like him. Because you don't know him. So I'm not taking my cues from you. That would be like going to a marriage seminar talking about how to have a faithful, lasting marriage by a dude who's never been married. He might say some good things, but fam, you ain't been there. You haven't been there. How to raise godly kids, and you ain't got no nephews, no, no nieces, no nothing. You ain't even been around kids. You ain't been around kids since you was one. Now, that doesn't mean you can't learn from people in different seasons of life, but experience sometimes is helpful. But when it comes to how to glorify God, I take my cues from the scriptures and from other believers whom I trust. I'm not taking my scriptures, my cue from someone on Twitter who doesn't like what I said. This is important because this is freedom from fear of man. This is freedom from fear of man. Now, what he's not saying is like, be a jerk. And that's cool. Like, that's not what he's saying. (laughs) That's not the point. The point isn't be rude and arrogant so that people don't, and then blame it on the well, way I don't have to live it. That's not what he's saying. No, because that's not honorable, right? We got to live what we got to do what's honorable in in God's eyes, in front of everyone, as best as possible. But it also means we don't have to give in to fear of men and worry about man. What is everyone going to think? Like these people don't like me because okay, I'm on my job and they're going to they're gonna promote or celebrate something that I don't agree with and now I got to worry about how are people are going to look to me and so I'm trying to figure out and I think if I, if I stay on my ground, people are going to be offended and then or if I, if I got to share this with another believer because I think they're out of pocket, I'm worried about them going to, it's like my job isn't to make you like me, my job is to make sure that I'm at peace with you. This is freedom from fear of man. But it's also freedom from self-blame. Because God knows, everyone's just not gonna like you. They're just not. <laughs> I told y'all this story before, but I had a friend, so my dude, his name was his name was uh, Catfish. That's not his real name, obviously. <laughs> so ID doesn't say Catfish. It's my nickname. Real good-looking dude. When we go out, and girls would be like, "Oh my gosh, he's so and so he had these real high standards. So when we were single, there was a girl that he was interested in. And I, I don't know what happened, but we were, we were someplace. I can't remember exactly where we were. But she was walking, and she almost tripped, and she caught herself, but she didn't fall, right? So we got in the car, and I was like, "Hey, so what you think?" He said, "Oh, no, nah, I, don't, I don't like it no more. And I said, "Why?" He said, man, because she almost tripped."
1: <laughs>
0: and I said, "What?" I thought he was joking. <laughs> he was as serious as can. It was serious as hard as was. He was like, "Nah, nah, man. I don't- she tripped, man. It just, it just was." unattractive to me (laughs) i said fam so she tripped and now you don't he was like yeah nah and so i clowned him for years in fact i tried to orchestrate his now wife tripping before they got married just to see what he was (laughs) going to do tried to put a twig in the road hey come over here real quick wanted to see what she was going to do now what you going to do you engaged People cannot like you for the dumbest things. They cannot like you because you don't think their favorite band is the best band in the world. They cannot like you because you don't like mayonnaise. They cannot like you because you don't agree with them politically. Right? That's a big one, right? People don't like you if you don't agree with them politically. People don't, people don't like you if you don't think the cause that they think is the most important is most important to you. People cannot like you for almost anything. And so God says, listen, this life being a Christian isn't about making everyone like you, Living, making everyone be at peace with you, you make sure that you are at peace with them, if possible. As far as it depends on you, you be at peace. We are trying to live free from disputes, but sometimes people are ready for that undisputed heavyweight fight. And you just can't do anything about it. And if you sit there and beat yourself up, Because someone is offended unless the spirit clearly shows you that you were offensive. Don't. I have these two categories in my mind and I teach my kids this. There are times, you know, in the act of preaching and doing this stuff, there are times I'm passionate, I'm energetic and I say something and someone might be like, oh, that sounded self-righteous. I get it. That happens. Things happen. We do things that happen. If someone comes to me and they're upset at something I said or did but it wasn't a sin that I did, but they're offended. I don't ask for forgiveness. I will apologize that this offended you or this was that. Because to me, if I ask you for forgiveness, that's an actual moral dilemma. That's an issue that Jesus died on the cross for. That's a sin that I committed that I need to ask you for forgiveness. I teach my kids, don't say I'm sorry, son. Ask for forgiveness. If it's, if it's oh, I, I accidentally knocked over your stuff, you don't ask for forgiveness for that. But when there's a moral thing where I've sinned against you, I've lied, I was angry, I, you got to ask for forgiveness. But if it's not, then it's like, okay, I apologize. There are times I'm like, oh, I'm, 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 I'm sorry. I apologize that this, what I said offended you that way. And because there are times you just got to challenge someone or say something that's true and then they get offended. If, the, if, if, affair, if people's offense is the governing reality of whether or not I would, then you're, we're gonna be done. Especially in a culture like this. We are, I mean, and with COVID, not even being around people, we're just super sensitive. Mm-hmm. Remember when we used to say sticks and stones? When I grew up, we said sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Yeah. Now a tweet will cause me serious problems. Right. Now your words, I didn't even hear your words, I just read them.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's just, we can't live that way. Mm-hmm. So if you're a Christian, You can't sit there and beat yourself up because others are offended at you. Unless the Lord shows you, unless you can look back and be like, oh, you know what? Wow. Okay. Then humble yourself. Do what's honorable before God. I will ask for forgiveness in a heartbeat when it's sin. But your offense doesn't mean I offended you. I was offensive. And we have to be careful. And so God provides us this reality if possible. As far as it depends on you, live peaceably. This gives clarity on how we relate to people. It gives clarity. He goes the next step further in verse 19. He says this, friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it is written, vengeance belongs to me. Verse 19, I will repay, says the Lord. So he tells us do not avenge yourselves do not take revenge for perceived wrongs don't punish people or or grant the kind of justice that says you're getting what you deserve this is the logical conclusion for everyone trying to live at peace with everyone we're trying to live at peace and if i'm trying to live at peace with you then i'm definitely not going to avenge myself against you i'm not going to repay evil for evil now remember I'm trying to live at peace with people. You're trying to live at peace with people because it's what God has done, not because what they have done. The motive for living at peace with other people is not they've treated you right. It's because God has said it and God relates to us that way. This is a logical conclusion. But this is also where our trust in the Lord is most tested. This is where it's tested. Again, it goes against our natural desires to not avenge ourselves. And then if you have a certain background, if you come from my background, a street background, that was, I mean, life in the streets was basically vengeance. Yeah. So when I, when I went to go see the Batman, and when he said, I'm vengeance, I got goosebumps. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, you got to be careful. Even in movies, yeah. Yeah. I just be wanting people, kill them, yeah. get them. Liam Neeson, all the movies about his daughter got kidnapped and he'd be going over and just be killing dudes. I'd just be like, man, I, I know I would do that. You know, we just vengeance. I'd never seen no movie where the guy goes over there, hey, Jesus loves you. Let her go. Jesus loves you. Nah, he's killing people. I love those movies. Because I imagine if that was my children, man, I get it. We were on vacation the other week, and every night we were watching a Marvel movie starting from beginning to end. So we got to Captain Marvel. We were going in order. So Captain America, the first one, Captain Marvel, we were going in order. And at the end, I had forgotten this scene. At the end, when Nick Fury was sitting at the computer and he was coming up with the defense initiative, and then somehow he looked up at... Uh, captain marvel's a picture of her and it said something about avenge something and he put and he erased it clack 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 clack. the avengers initiative and i just got goosebumps in fact i got goosebumps right now i just this vengeance avenge yourselves well if we were staying with the with the analogy well jesus is the superhero he's the avengers initiative He's the one that we call on, that we wait for to avenge, not us. But we have to trust him. He says, leave room for God's wrath. It's an important statement. You know, as believers, we have a small picture of what God's wrath looks like. Like we we can't see it. We didn't see it. I mean, the movie The Passion of the Christ was a movie, but it was to me probably the closest that I've seen on camera of what it possibly looked like. But we understand that Jesus took on the full wrath of God for six hours on the cross. We understand that reality. We, we sing songs, our eyes water, we we are affected by. We are grateful for. We talk about amazing grace because of that particular moment. So when he says leave room for God's wrath, we understand that wrath was already, was already had on our behalf in Jesus. But what happens when we avenge ourselves, we say the cross isn't a sufficient act of vengeance. When we avenge ourselves, the cross is not a sufficient act of vengeance. Let me explain. You see, in faith, we accept the wrath of God for us, right? Many of us understand that without Jesus, we would have no hope in eternity. We may have fun in this life, but we'll regret all of it in the next life. We understand that being a Christian means we are not going to do and be able to do everything and have all the pleasures that people who are not Christians have, but we accept that because of the wrath that God poured out on our behalf. We understand that wrath is serious and that we needed it for us to be saved. We believe it was sufficient for us, but if we take vengeance on other people, then we don't trust his wrath to be sufficient for those who have done evil to us we think, well, that was good for us, but now I'm going to be God. We discard the wrath of God on the cross because now our wrath is somehow more important. So then the cross doesn't have the authority or the power when we take vengeance because we're saying in that moment that Jesus' death on the cross and that vengeance was good, but it's not going to work in this situation. I need to do something. And we belittle the vengeance of God on the cross. If the vengeance of God on Jesus was sufficient for us, then let God's vengeance be sufficient for them. And here's why. Because how do you and I know? How do you know that you're not repaying someone evil for evil is going to be used by God to help them see that the vengeance that was coming to them can be forgiven in Christ? But if you take vengeance as a Christian, then you're saying to this person, the cross can't save you. The cross is important, but it's not important for you. I'm judging you. God uses our live at peace responses as testimony to those who persecute us, to those who repay evil, who do us evil. It says, leave room for God's wrath because it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay. That's Deuteronomy 32, 35. Quotes directly from the law of Moses. And he says this, vengeance belongs to me. This is with Moses speaking on behalf of God. Vengeance belongs to me. I will repay. In time, their foot will slip for their day of disaster is near and their doom is coming quickly. He says, I will repay. Leave room for me. My wrath on Jesus was sufficient for you. Let it be sufficient for others. And if they accept, do not. if they reject Jesus, then my wrath, I will handle it. You know why he says that ultimately? Because there's no evil that has been done to you and I that first wasn't done to God. Since he's the one who determines what good and evil is, whenever a sin happens, it's always breaking his law first before it affects us. We may be affected by it, but it didn't break our laws. It didn't break our, it didn't, I didn't die on the cross for the people that offend me, that hurt me, that persecute me. Neither did you. It always is vertical before horizontal. That's why David says in Psalm 51, against you and you only have I sinned. Well, that's not true because you sinned against Bathsheba, her husband Uriah, and all of Israel. You sinned against your general Joab where you made made him send Uriah to the front of the line so he could be killed. You sinned against a ton of people. But David understood the eternal reality against you and you only have. I said, it was your law that I broke. That's why God says vengeance is mine because I'm the one who created what shouldn't happen and should happen. And I'm the one who sent my son to die. So I'm the one. If I took vengeance on my son, I don't need you to take vengeance for me. I don't need you to defend me. Just live faithfully. Do what's honorable in people's eyes. And then he says this in verse 20, but if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. So if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Can you imagine that? Somebody just yell at you in front of everybody at your job. And then you walk up and give him the Diet Coke that you really didn't want the Coke Zero that you thought tasted like Coke, but it really doesn't. <laughs> but you give them something to drink. You bless them. You know what that does? It makes that person look wild. It makes them look wild. Like, they said all this and look how, because people love a fight. Like, you know, you say something, they say something, it's spy versus spy. But then when you come in and be like, hey, no big deal, bro, here. You need a ride, I got you. I'm like, What? It makes them look dumb because they're all angry and you're responding in humility, not because they don't deserve it, not because you're not hurt, not because you're not offended, but because you're just trying to honor the Lord. And sometimes, sometimes, actually a lot of times, our obedience as Christians is not because we don't feel where our feelings are in agreement with God's commands. Sometimes our obedience because it's God's command. That's it. There are times I'm doing this because I'm a Christian. Mm-hmm. Apart from that, I'm choking you out. <laughs> you know, what's funny. Guess, who's God, who? Guess who was God's enemy that he fed and gave something to drink to? Us. We were God's enemy at one point. Some of you don't believe me. Prove it. <laughs> Ephesians 2. <laughs> Ephesians 2. Listen to this. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath as the others were. But God, who is rich in mercy because of this great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses you are saved by grace god is asking us to do to others what he did to us we were enemies of god that did not deserve his grace but his wrath and he decided not to repay us for our evil but to allow his son to do it don't ever let that get so familiar that it doesn't affect you Don't ever let it get so familiar that you think, well, I know, but there are no buts. When it says you will heap fiery, burning fiery coals on their, uh, burning coals or heaping fiery coals on their head, there's a lot of different translations, a lot of different meanings that people think this means. The two most prominent are that it increases the judgment against the person. So when you heat fiery coals, it increases God's judgment on that person. Or they feel a sense of shame at the treatment that they've given you. People say it's one or the other. I actually think it's both. Because this, the context is God taking vengeance instead of us, right? That's, that's part of the context of what he's saying here. Vengeance is mine. But the other context he's saying is that we live at peace with everyone. We do what's honorable. So both of these things are at play. And I think these have a profound effect that people can be because God says he's going to take vengeance on those who affect his children. He tells those who were who've been martyred. Just wait. I got you. But then other people feel a certain way. They're humbled, They're convicted and cut to the heart because they've been treating you rudely and you haven't responded in return. When I was in Bolivia in 2005, I led a a, a team that was there for two weeks. We were basically going there to assist a church that we was a part of the family of churches we were in to share the gospel. So so I'd gone to India in 04, Bolivia in 05, and then India again in 06. So when we were in Bolivia, the first day we got there, uh, God came to me and said, hey, listen, can my son Moses hang out with you guys these two weeks? I was like, yeah, sure, no big deal. So Moses came with us everywhere we went. When we did something fun, he was with us. Whatever we did, he was with us. Always wore sunglasses, was distant. He'd make fun of us and mock us for being like, because we were just having fun. So I would, you know, I was joking with him, so I'd ask him, I'd, 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 make, I'd mess with him. Like, Moses, man, can you hit that rock and get some water out, man? We thirsty over here, bro. I'd just mess with him, you know, joke around with him. But he was standoffish. Judgmental, self-righteous towards us. He was with us the whole time. The last night that I was there, we were eating, and the guy comes and says, "Kirk, you got a second?" I said, "Yeah, what's going on, man?" He said, "Hey, Moses is in one of the rooms. He asked to talk to you." So I said, "All right, cool." So I'm walking to the room. Like, what does Moses want? This dude's been up. Step- step- I thought he was going to tell me I offended him because I was just messing around with him, trying to. Get- so I was like, "All right." So I walk into the room, and Moses is sitting on his bed. And he says, hey, man, I just want to apologize to you. He said, you know, um, I was kind of mean to you guys when I was hanging with you. And he said, you may not know this, but I'm not a Christian, so. And I said, oh, I know, Moses. (laughs) And he said, what? I said, I know, yeah, the first day we came, your dad asked, could you hang with us? And he told me you weren't a believer. And so he said, so all this time, you guys knew I wasn't a Christian and you still invited me to stuff and still hung with me and did this stuff? And I said, yeah. And then he just started weeping. And then I started weeping. And then I just preached the gospel to him. We walked downstairs and I said, hey guys, Moses accepted the Lord just now. And everyone erupted. And after that, I said, Lord, why can't they all be like this? (laughs) Make them all easy like this, Lord. Hey, can I ask you a question? One year he was like, tag out, let's pray for those moments. It was because he thought, we thought he was a Christian. And he was like, what, you knew I wasn't? And you guys still treated me with respect and with, he heaped fiery coals on his head. And that was enough to show him, and he grew up in the church. Mind you, he grew up in a Christian home. His dad was one of the elders at the church. And he said, that was it for him. It's real. It's real. In conclusion, he sums up everything in verse 21 by saying this. Don't be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. So you conquer, e- you're not conquered by doing good. It's to put off and to put on. This is not easy, church. God isn't saying this because it's effortless. No, it's inevitable. It's not inevitable. It's intentional. It takes work. But you will not do this unless you consider Unless you can be careful to give thought to what is honorable, what would honor God in front of everyone. And sometimes it won't be what they want. But start with, okay, what fruit of the spirit or what action of love is required and let me do that. Sometimes the action of love is overlooking an offense. I'm just not going to say nothing. Sometimes it's, no, I need to say something because... It's not helpful to the person. we got to discern what the will of the Lord is. Remember that in the beginning of Mike's first sermon in Romans 12. But it's what God commands of us. And we do it because this is what he's done to us, for his glory and our good. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for just the realities of your word, even though they're challenging. Even though it challenges us, there's truth in this. There's just truth in what you say in your word. I've seen it happen, and many of us have seen examples where you've just affected people, and people have responded to the gospel because of the conduct of believers. Sometimes we do win people by not trying to be winsome for them, but trying to be honorable to you. And you use that for your glory and our good. So I pray, Lord, for each of us. Each of us will have different crosses to carry. It'll be challenging for us for different reasons, based on our personalities, based on our past experiences. But Lord, you call us to to do this, to not repay evil for evil. But you also make sure that we realize that you know that it's difficult for people to live at peace. So as far as it depends on us, Lord, help us to live at peace with other people, not because we're not hurt, not because we want them to do it again, not because of those things, but because you have done this for us. May that be enough at times for us to obey you, even when, man, people are making it very difficult. You understand the difficulty. Help us with the responsibility. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you. Thank you. I'll be uh, I'll be at, I'll be at uh, Club, Club, on Tuesday and Thursday, I'll be at Club H in D.C.
2: And don't forget, if you just were born rich, he wants to see you. Oh, please do
0: talk to me afterwards if you were, May 4th.
2: <laughs> but uh, we do have uh, some questions, um, and this first one uh, is, th- the question is about relationships that are not Covenantal, meaning not not marriage, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So is it ever appropriate to uh, distance ourselves from, uh, you know, friendship contexts where it seems like it hasn't been possible to be at peace with someone else?
0: Sure. 100%. Uh, So Jesus said in Matthew 10, he said, I didn't come to bring peace but a sword. I came to cause division between a mother and a daughter, a father and a son. And so so Jesus was saying, I didn't come like like people act like Jesus is like this, like this. uh, Yeah, like this kind of manic depressive slash pushover, like, please believe in me. Like, no, Jesus said, I'm not I'm not coming here to make everybody feel good. (laughs) I'm coming here to make everyone holy. And so there are times when our faith in the Lord will cause division in our relationships. And it just, it's, it's, there are you just also told the disciples, everyone who forsakes mother and father and leaves all will be rewarded a hundred times over. So there is a category for not all relationships exist. Now let me say something about when the person's a believer. I, this is, I, I, can't, I can't say that this is what Scripture says, but this is a principle that I have. If my relationship with someone is very, and it's not covenantal, like a family member, like my wife or my children. If it's so difficult and that it's constantly tempting me to sin, then I'm not going to allow, I'm just going to step away from that relationship, even if they're a believer. What I won't do, though, is say negative things about them. What I won't do is not pray for them. I'm going to do certain things, but I don't think that, I can still love them, but not be tight with them, you know. I mean, as a pastor here, there are some people that I'm just tight with, and there are some people that I'm not. There are some people that I'll always be Pastor Kurt to, and there are some people that we're talking on the phone and texting them at 1130 at night. It's just a reality. doesn't mean I don't love people, but you can't be tight with everyone. I think it's the same principle, even if the person's a Christian.
2: So this this other question may be similar to it, but if you can find any nuance, um, I'll ask it. how should we live at peace with people who aren't or don't want to be believers don't want to be christian mm-hmm. or they aren't, just aren't at the
0: time yeah i just i so I, so this, this this is a to me a deeper issue among believers. I don't know when this happened i well, I think I know when it happened in the twentieth century, but there's a sense that. Christians evaluate non-Christians as if they're Christians and should be Christians and are offended that they're not Christians. Yeah. The Bible doesn't do that, though. So the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 5, look, when Paul says, look, don't be around people who are sexually immoral, who are idolatrous, who are these things greedy, he says, I didn't mean the world because then you'd have to leave the planet. I meant mm-hmm. don't be around people who profess to be Christians that act this way. Mm-hmm. And then he says, you know, um, you know there's, there's examples in the Bible where it's clear We have to relate to people based on their need for Jesus. And this is what happens. Somehow we related to people based on them being in rebellion to God instead of in need of God. So we're criticizing all the stuff that non-Christians do. We're angry. We're demanding that things change politically, all of it. And it's like, I just expect non-Christians to be non-Christians. Like, of course we're going to live in a world where they're going to have different views on sexuality and different... I expect it because they're not believers. What we're not supposed to do is get it. We don't have to agree with it, but don't get offended by it. See, what happens is when we when we look when we view people as being in rebellion, God says stuff like I'm going I laugh at the scoffers. You know, there's we see Romans one that God's going to punish all wrong. But he never tells us to think like that. He tells us to love our neighbors. Right. To to Galatians 610, as we have opportunity, do good to everyone. So when someone's not a Christian, doesn't want to be, I, I, I can still talk to them. I can hang with them. I don't, I don't make every, I personally, and you guys may feel different and you feel free to, I personally don't make every interaction with my non-Christian friends a gospel proclamation.
1: <laughs>
0: I just don't. Sometimes we just, I'm just trying to get my head cut and we laughing, talking about the skins game. Or we just talking about something else. I'm not making like, okay, I got to give, okay, I got to preach the gospel. It's like, hey, look, man. God is sovereign over your salvation ultimately because whether I preach it or not, you're not getting there unless God says you're coming. So on one level, if I'm unfaithful, then God will use somebody else. But I don't I don't think of that. There are moments when it's like, okay, this is the moment. Let's have this conversation. And I usually look for like brokenness or some sense of struggle. I, don't, I can hang with people and never bring up Jesus. But what I won't do is not let them know I'm about Jesus though. I'm not gonna act like, I'm not gonna do that. So anyway, I, I just think, Sure, I think we should relate to people as they need the Lord, because ultimately a person's greatest struggle is not dressing modestly, uh, uh, not being uh, having a sexual ethic that I agree with. Their greatest need is they need the Lord, and the Lord changes that. Cause I ain't think like that until the Lord said, "Hey, you're saved. I'm in you, and now you're gonna be different." I ain't think like that. To me, I mean, I used to be around and a pre- and, and, and I accepted that we just kill each other in the streets. People get murdered, and we laugh about it, and it was like we got them. It was with vengeance. It was, I mean, it was, just, my life was like, all right, good. And then when I became a Christian, it was like, wow, how evil were we? How evil was that? And now these things, even when I watch a movie, even, I can't watch a movie and someone get killed and be like, Dad, he's still before the Lord. It was like, actually, no, they said cut, and then he got up and then went to, you know. But still, that's just the way I think. Like, my worldview was like, oh, man, they still before the Lord. Wow. So I just I think we can we can we don't have to we're, you know we can relate to people as they need Jesus and not they're in rebellion. I think it's just something I've just seen a lot of people do that it hasn't been fruitful.
2: Um, what can we do to develop the maturity to engage people in the heat of the moment with intentional love rather than out of frustrated emotions?
0: So I think to do that. I think you have to do what the scripture said, give careful thought. See, the problem is, I know I do this a lot too, so this is all of, this, this is me too. I've re, I'm, my Christianity is sometimes re, too reactive. It's, it's too, you know, I need to be more preemptive. Like I'm too reactive, so it's like, oh, something happens, and then in the moment, I'm expecting God to just zap me, I, I love you. Brother. And really, that's just not how it works, right? When you get, you get, I mean, we're believers, but we get, we're offended. We get hurt. We, get, we, we raise our voices. We or withdraw. We do, we, I mean, we do all those things. So it's like, I know that, so I want to be preemptive. I want to think, especially if you know you're going to be around a particular group of people that, that may be challenging, you do the work beforehand. So when it happens, you're accessing what you already thought instead of getting caught off guard. You know, and that's the beauty of, like, having Like a a, a consistent relationship at times. When I say beauty, I don't mean desirable. I just mean of having a consistent relationship with someone that's challenging that you're going to be around is you can prepare when you're not around them. We're not talking about two hours of sackcloth and ashes either. I'm just saying you just take 10 minutes before the Lord and just be like, you know what, Lord, I am. I want to honor you. You know how difficult it is to do so. I do not like this person. Help me to love them and see them as you see them, Lord. Give me the grace to, to, to actively. And then you think, okay, what, what specific things am I not going to do? So for me, it's stuff like, okay, what's the action that is required of love? And I just recite First Corinthians 13, and I think, okay, it's not rude, it's not assist on its own way, it's not patient, it does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Okay, all right, those are my, those are, what I'm, that's what I'm going to do. If you don't get your specifics from the Bible then you'll get them from your personality. Get your specifics from the script. That's why it's there. Think, okay, what fruit of the spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Kindness, that's what I need to be. And patience, okay, because right now I want to choke them.
1: <laughs> so it's
0: like, all right, so it's like, okay, get your specifics from the scriptures. Almost every letter, Colossians, Philippians, uh, Thessalonians, Corinthians, they all have sections in them that kind of say what you should do versus what. Get your specifics from the Bible. Otherwise, you'll just be like boxing with the air. And it's like, no, you have to, it's right here. It's right there. It's right here. And you say, okay, Lord, this is what I need. Help me to be this way because I, and I'm honest to the Lord. I'm like, Lord, I don't like them. (laughs) I'm honest. I'm honest. I'm just like, the Lord knows. Like, I'm not going to lie. How are you going to lie to him? (laughs) Well, Lord, you know how much I love him. And he's sitting there like, (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: looking
0: at Jesus, like, listen to this like I don't even I just don't even I'm just honest with the Lord like Lord I just don't like them they're challenging for me but that doesn't mean it's, it's how I feel but it's not right let me be faithful according to either change my heart or let me at least act the way I'm supposed to act because sometimes we think change my heart Lord and then you think my heart's not changing because you're spending so much time thinking about how much you don't like them it's hard for your heart to change mm-hmm. so I just think yeah those are just what get your specifics from the Bible I promise you you will never fail if you get them from the Bible if you don't, you're going to get them from other people. You're going to get them from your personality, from just ideologies and psychologies. And it's like, get it from the Bible. What fruit of the Spirit do I need to get to, to interact with this person? And that's what you pray for, and then you act on it. And you believe, just like, you have, just like we believe that when we die, we're going to go to heaven. You live in faith like that, right? Live in faith that God has given you that, and then you act that way as best as possible. You take that deep breath. Hey, how you doing? That's not fake. That's not fake. That's being faithful. Faithfulness is not making I feel this way, I do this way. No, that's just being human. Faithfulness is sometimes I don't feel this way, but this is what God says. That's it. Faithfulness is me leaving now, and y'all get to Michael come up and do communion, and then we'll talk afterwards. Love you guys. Good to see you. Some of you with mass, some of you not. Some of you with mass, just do this real quick before you leave. I want to see your face. I haven't seen your face in a long time. I just want to see your face. I don't want to see the, the face of your face. All right, Mike, brother, remind us. Encourage us of why we're here, why we do this. Let's get your community. If you don't have it, please go get your community. There's some in the back. If you do have it, you are humble, godly. If you don't, may the Lord discipline you in ways that are
2: Well, many of us are aware that uh, next week we will celebrate this-